Northwestern Michigan College Driveways. From the Mobile Studio at Northwestern Michigan College and the Department of Extended Educational Services, you're listening to NMC Driveways. Hi, John Plow here. Today's episode features an interview with Ryan Bernstein. He's a curriculum and instructional designer for NMC. He's also an adjunct communications instructor We'll make him imitate the sound of his basset hound puppy. We'll hear about his past career as a high school English teacher, and we'll get him to participate in the first ever Hawk Owl Minute. Stay tuned after the interview. We'll explain a fun project we have for you and any kids you might have in your life. We're really glad you're listening. Let's head east and see if we can track down Ryan. Ryan Bernstein, thank you for being on the show, and thank you for having me in your driveway. John Plow, it's so good to see you. You have a, a lovely bit of land here. We're on uh, the east side of Traverse City. What's going on in your house these days? Well, we've got three daughters and my lovely wife, Sarah, who you just said hello to from afar, um, and we have a puppy. So our youngest daughter is three, and then we have a soon-to-be nine-year-old and a 12-year-old. And the nine-month-old puppy makes for an entertaining and busy and challenging environment to do any type of work in. But we're, we're doing great. Talk to me about your puppy. My big question, because I've seen how cute this puppy is, is it a howler? Yes, he is now baying even which is a term that I don't know that I knew um, before having a basset hound. He ain't nothing but a hound dog crying all the time. (laughs) He's howling and crying, and he sits in the backyard. Give us a little sample. Are you serious? Absolutely. (laughs) So, okay. (laughs) You know, that type of thing. I'm like, howls. Howling. Does he look sad when he's doing it? Well, he's a basset, so their face is constantly <laughs> droopy. So even if he's happy, he's he looks like he's miserable. The one thing with the bassets too that I wasn't expecting was the uh, drool. Somebody somebody mentioned it to me. Oh, get ready for the drool. But that's that's very real. Do you guys have a towel around the house? In the cars. In the cars, yeah. He doesn't drool around the house, which is strange, but whenever he gets in the car, he's salivating. Whenever my dogs see my dad, they start salivating. Yeah, your dad sounds like my dad, the way he interacts with my children. My kids salivate around my dad because, for, and for the longest time I didn't know this, but he'll, he'll keep M&Ms in his pocket, in his shirt pocket, and the, he just feeds them to the kids all day and... I finally caught him. M&M's is the go-to. That is a crucial part of my dad's diet is the M&M's. He uses it. He's a diabetic. He uses it to regulate his blood sugar, I think. I worry about the melting factor. Am I alone? 
Oh, no, not at all. That's very real. But I think um, he's very aware of it. And he's he's not a young man or a middle-aged man anymore. So his body temperature is not what it once was that could uh, easily melt an M&M with um, strenuous activity. So I think they... I think they rest comfortably in a shirt pocket most of the day. My wife's got us on a vegan diet. We've been doing it since December. What are the challenges with that, aside from the nutritional deficiencies that you have to watch out for? Right, you got to pay attention to proteins and things. Um, there's no challenge at all because she's a fantastic cook and has made some really, really great things. Have your kids been on board with the vegan lifestyle? Yes and no. You know, they're kids, so they just want mac and cheese and chicken nuggets and pizza. But yeah, some, some they've, uh, the oldest one, she's 12, she's tried a few things, and there's really minimal meat in the house. And, you know, Chester, the dog, Sarah makes all his food, too. And he eats far more meat than, than any of us. Uh, you know, mostly chicken, and she'll cook, cook up some chicken livers and mix it with some rice and vegetables for him, so... We're, eat, we're eating clean in this house. When you picture your children a little bit older, what are you hoping they get? Oh, as I see one in my rearview mirror. Yeah, there she is. <laughs> what are you hoping they're going to get into that you can help with, experience with them, do with them? Well, this one that just walked out, she's a little athlete. She's way into soccer and volleyball. I've coached soccer teams, not hers, The my other soon to be nine-year-old, I coached her team. But that, I really, I think there's so many benefits of organized sports and competition. I think it's really critical. Um, I grew up in, in that type of environment and want to see the same for them. But my, my soon to be nine-year-old Isla is a super creative type. And, um, you know, she's just constantly doing puppet shows. We went on a camping trip with some of my buddies last summer and she totally, she made up this, uh, what do they call it? With the, you have a light in your hands, you do the... Shadow puppets? Shadow puppets. She did the shadow, this shadow puppet show and set up, she stole everybody's camping chair, set up a blanket on a clothesline, got some flashlights, and put on this show that was extraordinary. And I don't know what to do with her. I've never been an actor or thespian or into that scene at all, but she is destined for that completely. The three-year-old, I keep telling her not to grow. As much as it is a struggle sometimes with a three-year-old, it's also just adorable. And she just tells me she loves me, and she gets more excited. She's daddy's girl. She gets more excited to see me than any other person in my entire life ever. And, uh, yeah, I'm grateful for that. Where'd you grow up, Ryan? I was born in Flint, Michigan. And I was raised nearby, just south of Flint, in Grand Blanc, which is French for Big White. And that is an apt way to describe the community there. Very, very white. And large? No, not a huge town. I couldn't tell you the population. but Physically, though, the, the, the people there? Well, that's, yeah. So that's why they named, I can't, what was the guy's name? They named the town after, like, a, a French explorer who was a large white man 
Um, and they, they named it, yeah, Graham Blank for Big White, the Big White Man. It's really interesting to think about that. But So when you were the age of your oldest daughter, 12, what were you dreaming about being when you were the age you are now? Well, I was going to be a defensive lineman and uh, play college football. For what team? Oh, Michigan. That was a goal. I was preparing for my bar mitzvah at 12. Um, I guess the dream then was really just, I don't know, hang out with friends, play sports. I mean, it was all, it was all sports growing up. Really, that was, the, that was the thing. When did that change? High school, really. Um, there, I, I went to Grand Blank High School. It was a big high school. And um, the sport there was basketball. Football was really popular, but basketball was probably even more popular at the time. You know, the Flint area, um, that, was, that was a sport. And uh, I, I could never cut it. There were so many kids and so many good players that I could never cut it. I did do the ski team, um, but as soon as I realized that my skills were not as good as I, I wanted them to be. I tried hockey a little bit, but, um, yeah, I quickly kind of uh, found other interests or people who introduced me to other interests, namely uh, rock and roll. Listening to rock and roll or performing? Oh, mostly listening. I, do, I, I did pick up guitar a little bit, but... Um, what was the band that stole your heart at that time? In high school? Yeah. Rage Against the Machine. Have you heard of them? Oh, of course. Yeah. So it wasn't always hard stuff like that. My other favorite band from that time period was Blind Melon. Very, very different sound. Very different sound. How'd your life take a turn for the educational world? Still trying to figure that one out. So what were you studying in college? So I, I went to Western Michigan. And I enrolled in this program called University Curriculum, which is basically for undecided majors. And as a result of that, I graduated with like 40 credits too many because they want you to take classes from all over. I just didn't know. I went, I was into psychology and I really thought that was cool. And then I took the abnormal psych class. And I just got scared, and it's like, I don't know if I want to deal with all that stuff. And um, so I kind of stopped with the psychology. I was really close to a psychology minor, actually. But, um, you know, both my folks were teachers, and, I, you know, they, they seemed to enjoy it. They seemed to be respected and be able to provide for their family. So I did it and um, majored in education and English. I loved it, man. Teaching was great, and it still is great. I've, um, I've been an adjunct for eight years now and taught every term, every semester, um, even a lot of summer courses, and that's real. I really enjoy that. I think one of the biggest differences is that they're captive in high school. It's um, compulsory education. You have to do it. And in college, it's, you know, they're electing to be there, or so, so, so you'd think. Um, but 
you know, the courses I teach, you know, it's hard to justify to a high school kid. And I was teaching, like, I taught a lot of different things in high school, but I could have honors English 9 is what I ended up with the last few years. So you've got these ninth graders, and you're, you're teaching Charles Dickens, The Tale of Two Cities. And it's hard to rationalize why A Tale of Two Cities is important in their development as a human. And there, there's a lot that happens in that novel. And they slowly get it, why it's a classic and all that. But, you know, in college, there are there's some Brit-lit classes for sure. But um, I teach technical writing, which is far more applicable to the students that it, it satisfies an immediate need on how to write an email, how to write a memo, right? And it's more boring. Sure, you're not talking about um, the French Revolution and... And you're not talking about the guillotine, um, but still there's an appreciation there that students have for the immediate relevancy of the subject matter to their work. And they see that, and that's great. And public speaking, I mean, geez, I don't know that there's a more important skill that they need right now. I think all the research that we see suggests that they, they need more of that. They need more of the soft skills because... You know, they're so used to to operating on a, on a device now that, that uh, they've lost some of that interpersonal communication. Do you miss diving into literature deeply? Yeah, I do. You know, my favorite thing to teach of Mice and Men, that was, I mean, it's so short. And I would, you know, I, I'd read it to the students and you know of course you re- they have to read outside of class but then I'd read a chapter in class and I'd do the voices and they loved it something about that story specifically it, it just as a young ninth grader um, they really get it and you know the I you, you sort of I felt privileged at that time to you know the saying the best laid plans of mice and men right this is an idiom in our culture and I was the one who got to explain why that was a, a cliche and, you know, how it's going to serve them well that they, they know the reference. Um, but To Kill a Mockingbird was another one. These are the classics, right? Sort of the, the canonical literature that, that you teach in high school. And I, I did that with the same group. And that it was really a blessing because that was the book that turned me on I think The Outsiders, S.E. Hinton, The Outsiders, was the, was really the first book that got me, oh, thinking like, oh, reading's pretty cool. This is a great story. And then and then To Kill a Mockingbird was kind of mind-blowing. And, you know, my mom was an English teacher, so um, we, we kind of shared, she, when I read that novel, I'm not sure if it's middle school or high school, but read that, and she shared that with me, and she actually ended up buying me a first edition to Kill a Mockingbird novel. What's been nice about all this is being able to read more. What kind of stuff do you read when you have the time? I've never had the time. That's it. And now I find myself with just a little bit extra. And um, so I read, uh, what was it called? It was just some survival story of some hikers lost in the woods, I think into the woods or something like that. And then I finally read um, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. 
It's an amazing, amazing story. He's only 36, and his life experiences are crazy, uh, what he came from. I'm reading right now a book called uh, The Death and Life of the Great Lakes, and it's all about the opening of the St. Lawrence Channel and the Erie Canal in the ecological calamities that have come from all of that. And then my wife wants me to read a book about the circadian rhythm. She doesn't think I sleep enough or I don't sleep well. So I promised her I'd read that one too. As a way to fall asleep or for the content? Just for the content to understand why it's so important that you sleep. Because like, like you, I'm a night owl. If I, could, if I could sleep till noon and stay up till 3 or 4 a.m., that would be my ideal life, I think. So what is your job title, and what does that mean in practice? My job title is instructional and, what is it, is it instructional and curriculum designer. Uh, most commonly, they're referred to as instructional designers, but one of my predecessors wanted to add the word curriculum when they were open to letting her do that. So she added the word curriculum. What does that mean? I help. Um, I work a lot with online courses. We develop new online courses. We review existing online courses. We talk about best practice, and we get to encourage the use of technology with instruction. We talk about how to engage students in instruction online. But, you know, we do a lot with the face-to-face courses, too. And the coolest part of my job is that I work with everybody on campus. I feel like I... I was an adjunct, right, for like four years before I got hired on full-time as the senior instructional technologist, which is now Ben Post's position. But yeah, no, I get to work with everybody. It's very cool. A lot of super-duper smart people at NMC in my department. This is the greatest group like I've ever worked with. Like I've worked on a lot of teams, and this is the best one, hands down. My boss, Terry, you know Terry, not only is she on it, But with all of this, okay, so Terry, she was on it from like negative 21 days before we closed. What's Terry's last name? Gustafson. We should call her Dr. Terry Gustafson. She's a great boss. She's a great boss. She she cares about you, you know, she checks in, all that stuff. But as far as staying on top of trends and stuff, she's fantastic. You know, she's also super understanding that we're trying to do this at home. But yeah, but everybody in the department, educational technology, you know, the name of the department's educational media technologies, but we are, we want to change that to educational technology. I call you guys ed tech. Ed tech is great. But, you know, Mark DeLong, Sherry Trier, Justin Gillard, Ben Post, uh, those guys are fantastic, fantastic colleagues. They are on it. We pick up, we pick up where the other leaves off as far as skills and abilities and things and and then the other side of our house is the classroom technology kyle morrison and and chris hannah and they're they're flipping awesome um you know when this all started going down kyle was kyle and chris were and dennis schultz they were pulling um they were pulling the ladybug webcams out of classrooms so people could check them out and I know though those two have been on campus probably more than anyone else in these last couple of weeks, uh, helping out and 
doing videos and figuring equipment out and getting equipment to people who need it. It's a good team. Grateful to be a part of it. Do you know what that is the sound of? Is it a hawk owl? Yeah, that's swoop. That's swoop. And that means it's time for the hawk owl minute. All right, I'm going to ask you a series of rapid fire questions. Okay. Ryan Bernstein, are you ready for the hawk owl minute? Mm, okay. What is the last time you ate a Pop Tart? Jeez, college. How many dedicated calculators do you have in your own home? Zero. Water parks, yes or no? Yes. First concert you went to without your parents? Rage Against the Machine, 1996, Kobo Hall. Do you, Ryan, pronounce it ukulele or ukulele? Ukulele. When you grab a single utensil, what percentage of the time is it a spoon? 45. Sauna, steam room, or hot tub? Hot tub. If you had a different first name other than Ryan, what feels like the correct alternate name? Johnny. When you compete in rock, paper, scissors, what is your standard opening move? Rock. And that is the Hawk Owl Minute. All right. How'd I do? How do you feel like you did? Really, really well. You did really, really well. Yeah. Um, we'll score it. We'll get back to you. Okay. That'll be online. Okay. As all the results of this interview will be. All right. Well, Ryan Bernstein, thank you so much for having me over and talking a little bit about you and how you got to NMC. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming over. It's great to see you. Um, next time, when all this is over, you're going to come over and you're going to tell me how dirty the top of my refrigerator is. I can already tell you it's it's super dirty. Yeah, I once saw an interview with Sean Bradley. <laughs> you you know this guy? Of course. I know all the tall guys. You know all the, you guys have a club. He's like seven six or something crazy. Yes. And he said, just so you know, the top of your refrigerator is super dirty. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, doesn't matter. I've been in houses big and small, new and old. Everyone's fridge is dirty on the top. Clean it off. Get a ladder. <laughs> We're not kidding about the fridge stuff. It's really dirty up there, guys. Same with those fan blades. As Ryan said, he finally has a little time to read for pleasure right now and raise a puppy. My brother outside of Boston has the chance to work on his garden way more than during a typical spring. And my friend Brian has found himself with time to walk outside a lot every day and concentrate on his health more than he ever has before. We want to hear from you and the young people in your life. What are the silver linings to this very odd situation? Record yourself on your driveway or somewhere outside your house. Tell us in 5 to 10 seconds what the silver lining is for you. And then share your clip with us at driveways at nmc.edu. We'll stitch together a video that celebrates some of the many wonderful parts of life in northern Michigan right now. You have until Sunday, May 3rd to get your clip to us, so get on it. And if you can, 
Make sure you hold your phone sideways when you record. Landscape mode rather than portrait. It doesn't matter to anyone else, but I sleep way better when I know that's how people are recording their videos. And with that, we've come to the end of episode number three. Tell your friends they can hear NMC Driveways for free on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Our theme music is provided by Sweet Wave Audio. For custom music, visit sweetwaveaudio.co.uk. This is a production of NMC Extended Education. Thanks for listening. I'm John Plow. From before. Northwestern Michigan College Driveways.